Hey, it's Mike at Narc's Life at Customs Podcast, episode 39. Jeez, I hope you guys are ready for this one. We have the owner of Vengeance Racing, Mr. Ron Mowen, on today. Guys, super cool dude. Uh, tells us the story of, like, at 11 years old, they didn't have a car. At the summer, he was 12 years old, went to stay with his uncle for a month, and uh, probably that's what pushed him to be a car guy. Went to the military, uh, spent the time there, came out, started working for performance shop, and then 2006 uh, opened Vengeance Racing with the hopes of doing something great. And within a few months, had a full-on build uh, from a guy out of Alabama that is now his general manager of the facility. I mean, super cool story, 3000 horsepower cars, all kind of, he said the normal for them is 800 plus wheel. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I had a blast and uh, Ron will definitely be on for a, uh, for a 2.0 podcast because this podcast really just basically lays a groundwork for some of the super cool ideas and processes they have there in the shop. We talked before and after recording on this of some of the stuff they do and just amazing. I mean, they basically work late model GM stuff and Gen 5 Vipers. I mean, can you get a cooler platform set up? I don't know. Anyways, guys, we're going to, again, we are two days from Rocky Mountain Race Week. Uh, we will be posting daily. Um, rec I'm recording a podcast tonight uh, that is like the final Rocky Mountain Race Week prep set up. Um, we're getting the last, I put the windshield, I put a windshield in the cart this morning or somebody did. I didn't Bob Maloney collision center and Rogers did. Thank goodness for Tyler Henderson and uh, his ability to flip that thing that quick. And, uh, so now we should be a hundred percent ready to go. Uh, we're picking the tires up from our tire sponsor, Hawassi tire and lube here in just about 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, we're taking an extra set of an extra pair of tires and we're literally going to do burnouts and donuts all over the place. Um, I'm staring at my GoPro Hero 8 black that came in yesterday that I haven't even had time to open the box because I've been editing a video and working and uh, it's been crazy. I've been up till about midnight or one the last four nights uh, trying to get everything ready for you guys. I hope that you are ready for what's about to happen. Um, Rocky Mountain Race Week is going to be a pivotal point in our channel and in the podcast. Again, we're going to do podcasts every single day. We're going to do a video every single night um, of a recap for the day. So, all right, I'll stop talking, let you guys get in uh, some of this Ron Mallon goodness. So thanks a bunch. Here we go. All right, guys, I'm so excited. We have Ron Mallon of Vengeance Racing on the podcast today. <laughs> I, uh, I want to say right out of the gate, thank you for doing this. Uh, you are a well-known dude and a hugely known shop. If somebody doesn't know of your shop, they are living under a rock. I mean, like <laughs> it's a, uh, it, this is going to be a ton of fun. I hope we uh, get to drop some information for folks that maybe they didn't know. So, so let's start right out of the gate. What is like the three highest horsepower cars you've had come through the shop? Oh man. Uh, I'd have to say, uh, you know, we're a GM shop and, I, and I'm going to say the most powerful car we've ever built is uh, Ned's 2014 Dodge Viper. 
<laughs> makes right at 3,000 horsepower. Uh, coming up second, we've got uh, a guy named Mike Stout. He's got a C7 Stingray that we put an LSX twin turbo setup in. It makes right at 2,500 horsepower. Dang. And then I'm going to drop the numbers a little bit here, but we've got a naturally aspirated small block LS that makes 1,100 horsepower. Uh, Eddie Blackwell's C5 Corvette. Uh, Jeez. So it's, a, it's a big number for a little 450-inch small block. That's nuts, and being NA especially. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, what kind of RPMs does that thing turn to do? Oh, it's 10,000 RPM all day long. <laughs> Golly. And we're going to tell Eddie's story here in a little bit, too. Um, and I'd love to have him on because, like, he was a customer and then is now your GM, right? Absolutely, yeah. He's been a customer <laughs> since the first year of business, and uh, now he's running the shop. That's awesome. That is awesome. So um, I was digging around on the on your Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, getting research for this. You guys have turned down some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, what's the fastest daily driven car to come out of there? And when I say daily driven, like it could be daily driven, but not necessarily it has to be 10,000 yeah. miles a year. Well, you know, that's a constant struggle. And I'm going to use his name again, uh, Ned with that Viper. He drives that car through Atlanta traffic, on the highway. Uh, people come in for vacations and holidays, and he takes them for thrill rides. Uh, he probably yeah, That's puts, awesome. Yeah, he puts, puts quite a few miles a year on that car uh, outside of what we do with it. And, you know, again, it makes 3,000 horsepower. That's insane. That is insane. That's awesome. So, uh, obviously, you don't decide one day uh, as an adult to be a huge car guy. Like, is 11-year-old Ron, is he a car guy? No, 11-year-old Ron's not. 11-year-old uh, Ron was not really sure where he was going to go at that point. I, I actually grew up uh, pretty poor. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, we, we lived in single-wide trailers, got evicted quite often. Uh, had a pretty... I, I did some of that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing people's story when you talk to them, you know, what mm -hmm. they've been through. Uh, so I, I didn't really have any hobbies or anything at 11 years old. If, if anything, I was leaning towards the military, mm -hmm. uh, which I ultimately pursued, uh, once I got out of high school, but, uh, yeah, 11 year old Ron didn't have any goals or ambitions and hell, we didn't have a car cause my father had so many DUIs that we had to walk everywhere we went anyway. <laughs> yep. So there was no car to drive that passion if it was there. Dang, man, that's wild. That's wild. Well, you have certainly turned some stuff around and, uh, and all that. So that kind of, I guess that leads into this. It's like, what did you learn to drive in then? Like, if there wasn't necessarily one at home, was there somebody that kind of taught you how to drive and do that stuff? You know, I, I've got a, an uncle up in North Carolina. And uh, when I was, I think, 12 years old, I actually went and spent uh, – a month with him during the summer and he had big lifted trucks jet boats jet skis they live at the outer banks uh and, and i think that might be what triggered it you know yeah. that, you that think? Was, if anything i realized i had a need for speed at that point i like going fast i like big trucks uh you know and i i like sports cars so i i think i'd have to give him credit for triggering that that's awesome. So what was your, so 11 year old doesn't really like, you're not car guy by the time end of summer of your, 
of being 12, you're like, dude, this is what's up. So like, what was your first car to, that you're free to roam around in? My first car actually was a 77 Jeep CJ five. Uh, I'll never forget that thing. It's I bought it from uh, my uncle's brother-in-law. I paid a thousand bucks for it. My grandmother actually put up 500 and I had to paint her house to get the other 500 from her. Uh, the thing was completely rusted through. It was like a primer white Jeep with rust all over it because it had been at the Outer Banks its whole life. Wow. And every time you turned it off, it would backfire and scare the hell out of people. But uh, it was my pride and joy. I, I started working yeah. on it, uh, you know, tinkering with it, lifted it and did some stuff. But then I realized that I was trying to grab gears in this thing and go fast and it wasn't meant for that. Mm -hmm. So. I ultimately wound up in, in some sports cars shortly after, but the, the Jeep was the first. That's awesome. And then so obviously military that, you know, uh, I have a lot of friends that have done that. And that's like a group of gearheads that generally have some expendable income. So you end up with cars and builds and speed and all that stuff. Yeah, man, you're young, no kids, no responsibilities. So your money can go to whatever and you can't really choose where you live. So you choose what you drive. Uh, and, and that's when it really bit, you know, high school was one thing, but, uh, once I was in the military and I had a little bit of cash, uh, I actually started out, believe it or not, in Mustangs, uh, had a Mustang Cobra, had a couple of coupes, things like that. And, uh, short story is, is I, I had this Cobra that had every bolt on imaginable done to this car. And it was a 97 Cobra convertible, triple black. And with everything imaginable that you can do to it, it ran like high 11s. And I had just gotten out of the military. I was stationed out of Fort Benning with the 75th Ranger Regiment, just gotten out of the military, and I got into a race in, in Atlanta with a guy with a 2000 LS1 Camaro. He spanked my ass. And we pulled over to talk about the race afterwards, and the next day I owned his car. Wow, so, that's awesome. Yeah, and that, that's how I got into the LS scene. So Yeah, and then now you've gone completely crazy with it. I mean, like, <laughs> 11 yeah. horsepower NA stuff. I mean, that's what's up. <laughs> that's awesome. So the shop is in uh, Cumming, Georgia. Yep. So have you always been in that area of the country? Did you grow up there or anything like that? No, man. I was actually born in Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, I lived in PA until I was about seven years old. Uh, Ironically enough, we moved from PA because my father had gotten his third DUI and he was going to go spend a little bit of time behind bars. Uh, so we moved to South Carolina. I had some family that lived in South Carolina. Uh, we moved down there to be close to them and, and keep him free. And I wound yeah. up in South Carolina until I graduated high school. Then I went in the military and spent four years at Fort Benning. And uh, basically when I got out of Benning, you know, I wasn't close to any of my family at that point in my life. So I, I was like, you know, I could either go to Atlanta where I've partied a lot, try to find a career up there, or I could go to Panama City, which I had done a lot of partying in as well. And I, I said, I don't think I'm gonna be able to afford to live at the beach. So we'll go to Atlanta and try to make something of ourselves. That's awesome. That's, I wound up in Atlanta and uh, wound up uh, meeting my current spouse and we had a son together and that put me in Forsyth County where I live now. Uh, I wanted him to have good schools and a good mm -hmm. group and things like that. So that's how we kind of landed here. That's cool. Now, how old is he? 
Uh, I've got three of them now. Oh, man. Uh, my oldest is 17. He's a senior. And then I've got a uh, eight-year-old, excuse me, nine-year-old this month and uh, a five-year-old, all man. boys. Oh, geez. I bet your house is wild. It is. It is. All three play football. They're all in the sports. They've all got four-wheelers, uh, you know, and, and they're gearheads like dad a little bit. So it's, it's fun for sure. Oh, that's awesome. That is uh, so I have two girls. I have a 10 year old and a seven year old and oh. the little, the little one is she's my car person. The old yeah. one, she likes cool looking cars, modern stuff, you know, but the old one, she likes them all. She doesn't care. That's good stuff, man. It's yeah. awesome. And following your footsteps a little bit and share that interest, you know. Oh yeah, the uh, we I don't know if you've seen the Narcs cart, but uh, that's sh the little one is really the reason we started cutting on that thing and uh, took the roof off and all that stuff. It's just because she wanted something super fun that uh, everybody could go in. So you know, me, the wife, and two daughters don't fit in my regular cab '66 GMC truck that's turbo LS. No kidding. Yeah. So she's like, she's like, I want something we can all have fun in. So we're like, all right. So we bought a grand marquee and cut the roof off and added a jungle gym cage. And it's, you know what? I haven't seen it yet, but I got to check this out. This sounds oh, dude. cool. Uh, it's what we're taking on uh, Rocky mountain race week. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So me and a buddy are going to do 1300 miles in a car with no doors. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. I'm yeah, so it, sure. It's going to be a ton of fun. So, before we dig down into the story of Vengeance Racing, uh, where can where can people find you? Like you guys have an amazing website, obviously, uh, and then so give us website, you know, social media addresses, all that kind of stuff. Man, we're everywhere. You can go to vengeanceracing.net. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Just type in Vengeance Racing; it'll populate. We've got hundreds of professionally done videos. Uh, vehicles that we build, races we've attended, customers we support, you name it. Uh, we got a pretty powerful social media platform, so definitely give us a look. Yeah, it's uh, y'all stuff is really nice. Like, uh, it's definitely, you take a lot of pride, and really a lot of the questions that come from uh, our questions later are from your 2020 shop tour video, because okay. like, you had a bunch of really cool stuff in there, and cars, and parts and pieces and updates. So I was really impressed by that video. That was awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yep. So, all right. So being around that many, uh, high horsepower, fun customer cars, do you have any cars of your own? Like, is there a Ron project? Uh, I've, I've got several, uh, <laughs> I'm a toy guy for sure. But, uh, the race car is, is the most known and it's, uh, it's our shop car. We call it fat man 3.0. Mm -hmm. uh, the car originated, it was originally, it was a customer's car uh, that we made about 15, 1600 horsepower out of, uh, but I had the privilege of racing it for him. And <clears throat> we, uh, we found ourselves going to half mile events and breaking records. Wow. Uh, it, was, it was a street car that we just started to kind of race. And then we started racing it more and more. Uh, it was the first Corvette in the world to go over 200 mile an hour and a half mile. Dang, that's awesome. And, it, and it, that's where we focused at was half mile racing with that car. But there's videos out there, man. You can see the car in fourth gear, just obliterating the tires, sliding around on these unprepped runways, uh, running like 204, 205 mile an hour. So that's uh, nuts. We ultimately bought that car from the customer uh, and 
it's in the process right now of being transformed into a purpose-built race car. We took it apart, did a 25-2 chassis in it, uh, four-linked it, back-halved it. Uh, and it, it, was, it was Atomic Orange, and that's kind of where the name Fat Man came from. Everybody looks at me when I say that, and they're like, yeah, you're a pretty big dude, but I don't know why you call your car Fat Man. Uh, we actually named it Fat Man. The, the original customer and then the guy that does all the work on the car, Jay, he's my shop foreman. <clears throat> he, uh, they both have a, a, an odd sense of humor, if you will. And they were talking about dropping bombs all over the competition and uh, the car, or excuse me, the car being atomic orange and the word atomic popped out. So next thing you know, they're referencing the bomb Fat Man that was dropped on Hiroshima. Uh, back in the day. So that's where Fat Man actually comes from. It was an atomic bomb. Uh, that's awesome. But it's it's extremely confusing now that the car is white. I love white cars. Almost everything I own is white. Yep. So uh, people see the white car and you tell them it's called Fat Man 3.0 and they just kind of look at you and scratch their head. So, uh, but <laughs> back to the car, we've got a uh, Noonan billet block we're putting in it, uh, billet head combo that LME put for us. Uh, twin precision XPR 94 millimeter turbos, lock up 400 from RPM trans. Uh, we're, we're literally doing the best of the best. My goal with this car was to showcase our talents as a shop. What And Jay Clegg, my shop foreman, is the one turning every wrench on it. I wanted to showcase his talents and, and what Vengeance is capable of. And I also wanted to showcase the baddest LS build in the country. You know uh, what we could do with a small block LS deal, so that's awesome, man. Yeah, it, it should be cool, man. I'm I'm hoping I, I'm going to multi-purpose the car. I want to run eighth mile with it. You know, want to go out to lights out with Donald and run. I'm hoping to click off some 380s, 390s with it in the eighth, and then I want to turn around and go half mile it, and I want to run 250 in the half. So I've got Golly. goals, but I think they're achievable. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Obviously, you, the team you have there can can put some stuff together for sure. Yeah, I'm surrounded by great people. That's for sure. That's awesome. So, tell us, um, was the shop at any point like a part time business for you, or has it always been full time? No, it's been full time from day one. Surprisingly, uh, I didn't open the shop per se. I didn't own it when we opened uh, myself. And our tuner, Mike, uh, we worked at a shop called GMMG in Marietta, Georgia. And we built specialty cars for General Motors that were sold on dealership lots. Kind of like a modern day Yanko, uh, yep. if you will. Uh, we were over there and we were getting extremely popular. People were hitting us up, wanting us to build their stuff. We couldn't. We didn't have a facility to do it. We weren't mm -hmm. allowed to work out of that facility with side work. Uh, and I was young, man. I was fresh out of the military, been in this place for a couple of years, and I, I didn't have a pot to piss in at that point in my life. So I, I kept reaching out to Mike. I'm like, dude, we got to open our own shop and do our own thing. We've got a following. We're LS gods at that point. You know, everybody knew us, uh, and I finally convinced him to do it. So we opened up Vengeance Racing in uh, June of 2006. And it started off to where it was going to be a part-time gig, but overnight it, it exploded. 
People uh, are like, wait, you're doing something? Okay, we're in. <laughs> yeah, literally. Funny. But we also opened up the shop on a different premise than most speed shops, you know. You walk in your average speed shop and there's a guy and maybe his wife working there. And, and that guy is the tuner, the builder, the customer service rep, everything. Yep. And when we opened, I told Mike, I said, look, I said, I want to dominate the LS market. Uh, I want to be the biggest, baddest LS shop in the nation. And I want to provide an experience that other people can't get elsewhere. Mm. And that was my focus from day one. So we hired people and put them in strategic positions. You know, we put customer service people in customer service positions. We hired technicians that didn't have to speak to the customers. Mike did all the tuning. I ran the business. And, and we've stuck to that philosophy and just grown uh, tremendously based on giving an experience you can't get elsewhere. Uh, and yeah. it's worked. You know, we're, uh, what, 15 years old now coming up on. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been extremely successful for us. And that's, and that's uh, you know, I think a lot of guys, and I've, I've discussed this with a ton of uh, buddies that own businesses, is that a lot of times people don't need to own businesses to do what they want. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you knew that, Hey, we're going to do this, but we're not going to bootstrap it. And you handle 10 different things because what happens is then you end up missing stuff or you make customers mad, things like that. And like a lot of times the fab guy that's welding on a set of headers that's talked to six customers that day is like the next person walks in the door, I'm throwing them out. Like <laughs> let that dude do his work. You know, you handle yeah. the, like certain people handle the customer, all that kind of stuff. So that's, I mean, that's a genius way to do it. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's a whole different mindset as far as like when, like you're looking at the business too, just thinking about that, because like now you have people that are set up for customer service. That's, that's their job is to follow the customers, update them, all that kind of stuff. So that's pretty smart. I appreciate it. It's, it's workforce. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So on your, on your website, your about us says we offer everything from small bolt-on installations, heads and cams upgrades, complete engine builds, power adder combinations, full race car prep, custom turbo applications, complete turnkey packages, and much, much more. How many projects do you guys have in the shop? Like right now, if you were to walk out there. If I went out and counted vehicles on the property, there's probably 25 to 30 cars here right now. Man, that's awesome. So, and that's, and to put that into perspective, we're only 12,000 square foot and we have 10 lifts. So, uh, my God. You know, some of those are complete. Some of them are in process. Uh, some of them are pending. Uh, we we're booked out right now till I think the third week of November when builds, but the company is kind of split in, in two different shops. If you will, we have the main production shop that a guy come in and he'll wait his eight, 10, 12 weeks to get on the plate. He'll come in and we'll do his build and we'll turn that car in three, five, 10 days, depending on what it is, uh, build it, tune it, deliver it. Uh, those cars are typically 1200 wheel and under, and that's production for us. Then we've got the race side of the shop that the cars are here for 60, 90, 120 days, but they're full on bills. They're getting aftermarket engine management, custom fabricated twin turbos, custom everything. And those mm -hmm. cars are 2,000 horse and above, uh, and you know that that's what rolls out of our race shop. So we've we've got two businesses within one, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, 
yeah, we're, we're staying busier than we probably should. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And before we started recording, we were actually talking about COVID and how it seems there's more people working on their stuff. And you were saying that you guys have been busier now than before. Man, you know, I tell you, when COVID hit, it scared the hell out of me. I, I thought for sure that everybody was going to call up, get their deposits back and wait this out. And what actually happened is everybody's sitting at home bored out of their mind and they're calling up and spending money on their cars now that they have a minute to think about it. Yep. Uh, it's been great for us. I mean, we, we maintain that backlog about two and a half months anyway, but the amount of calls we're taking and estimates that we're doing is, is phenomenal. That's great, man. So how, how many employees do you guys have? We're a small company, believe it or not. We're only 17 people deep. Uh, and man, that's a bunch though. It's, it's a lot for sure. Trust me. I, I manage it on a daily basis and it's a lot. Uh, you know, about half of them are focused on admin type stuff. And then the other half are, are you know, turning wrenches and in the shop. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's a good split. Yeah, that's awesome. That, and uh, I would think a level of that, that level of employee is probably, you're probably the, in the top five or 8% of the country as far as like shops employing the quantity of people like that. Yeah, most shops are a lot smaller and understandably mm -hmm. so. There's, you know, you, you got a ton of things going on, not only with employees, but business, the volume and things like that, that, that you need to sustain to employ that many people, especially when so many of them are admin. You know, I, I've got a, a female on staff that basically takes pictures of the builds in progress and updates the customers daily. And that's her job. That's uh, awesome but every customer that comes in gets to see pictures of their car all the way through the process from teardown mm -hmm. to assembly to tuning. Uh, and they're kept up to date on that. So, well, and the benefit to that. And so we do uh, like videos or YouTube builds and things like that with the customer stuff. And my thought is like, it lets the customer know that something's happening. There's a lot of shops where they drop it off and they don't see it for six months. And the guy calls on a Tuesday and says, Hey, can you pick it up tomorrow? You know, that's, that's one of the cool things about what we do here and the way we're set up is we don't do that at all. I don't want your car until I'm ready to work on it. So mm -hmm. if you called me today and you wanted to do, let's just say a stage five supercharged package on your C6 Corvette, I would book your appointment for the third week of November, tell you that I need your car for 10 business days and then you can pick it up. So that's awesome. You keep it until that date. We order all mm -hmm. your parts, car gets here, rolls in the shop, hits the lift, gets built, gets tuned and gets delivered. Man, that's great. And that, that makes so much sense because a lot of times people are like, okay, when do you want me to bring it? Well, dude, it's going to be three or four months before I work on it. I'm, I don't want it sitting here and the liability, liability yeah. of that. I don't want the liability and you don't want to be without your car. <laughs> right. Even yeah. if it's a fun car, you know, like, and say it doesn't have an engine like our Grand Wagoneer didn't like, I don't want to just sit in here while we work on other stuff to get, you know, to make the whole. So yeah, your performance packages are obviously late model GM stuff. You discussed the LS stuff there. Tell us the story of the Viper though. Like, I mean, I, if people go to your website, they'll see you've got performance packages and all that kind of stuff that go along with every model of LS LT engine setup. But like, how did the Viper come into the mix? The Viper is an interesting story. Uh, and I'm so thankful that I, that I took it and that accepted it. But uh, basically, I just got an email one day of, of a local customer or a local guy that was mutual friends with a few of our customers, and he wanted to have some work done on his Viper. 
And uh, I, I didn't put much thought into it. I basically just replied and said, thanks for your interest in vengeance racing. Unfortunately, that's not a platform or vehicle that we service. Have a great day. And uh, he emailed me back and said that uh, he'd appreciate some time to sit down and, and discuss things with me, that uh, he felt like it was a vehicle we could service and that he had several friends that are customers and he wanted the same experience they had. Uh, so I told him to stop by and, uh, and we'd meet each other. And uh, Ned showed up one Saturday morning with his uh, orange 2014 TA Viper in the parking lot and turned out to be one of the most charismatic guys you could ever meet. Super friendly, very, very welcoming, if you will, and very understanding. And uh, he basically said, look, I, I want a simple build. I want to make, you know, I want to double my horsepower. I want a thousand horsepower twin turbo Viper. And we decided we'd take the car, put it on a lift. Jay was here. He would be the guy building the car anyway. So we put it on a lift and we started looking it over and in comparison to the Corvettes that we work on, we were kind of like, holy shit, man, this thing has tons of space. We did a little bit of research on it and it had, all you needed was twin turbos, fuel and a clutch. It, there was, the, the stock engine was gonna take a thousand wheel and it was simple. So, you know, we had the conversation obviously that, hey, we're not a Viper shop, if you'll allow us to learn on your vehicle and be patient through the build process, I feel like this is something we can do for you. Uh, so two months later, Ned had a 1,080 wheel twin turbo Viper. I uh, ran on E85 and pump gas. Uh, that was all in, it was a stock motor, stock transmission. We put Pro EFI engine management on it so we could tune it, put a clutch in it, put a fuel system in it and let it eat. That's awesome. And then it snowballed. You mean car guys have that happen? <laughs> you know, every once in a blue moon, they, they take it to a whole other level, and uh, and Ned has definitely done that. I mean, 3,000 so, and, and drives it. So he, here's the – I'm trying to – the problem with Facebook and forums in the last five years is that 1,000 horsepower, oh, pff, <laughs> but, dude, that's a bunch, like, yeah. to cruise around in. People on the internet want to make a thousand horsepower seem like it's the norm, but when you get in it, they have no idea what to expect or, or how to react to it. And, and that's, it's ironic you bring that up because our first track outing with Ned, uh, you know, it's a manual transmission car with twin turbos and uh, Ned wants to go to the drag strip with us. And uh, we're literally on the way there and I'm kind of being, you know, not as professional as I should be. And I, I told Jay, I said, this is going to be a shit show. This guy is not going to drive this car well. You know, he's he's a businessman. He's a suit and tie guy. Uh, and we just didn't expect anything out of him. And uh, damn if he didn't surprise us. He snatched gears like it had a damn Liberty in it and uh, launched the car and went down the track. And I think it was his first track outing that he was right up on, if not beating the manual transmission Gen 5 Viper world record. Dang, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So he, he fooled us for sure. That's awesome. See, that's what I want to do. I, like usually I'm T-shirts and shorts now all day, every day. But I, I want to roll up with like a suit on in my old ratty truck and <laughs> do <fun laughs> stuff like that. You know what I mean? Because I, I will tell you, the truck make, makes like 500. And it'll light the tires at 
40 miles an hour, which is dangerous as hell because I do it all the time now. You know what I mean? And so I can only imagine double that in something. So uh, let's pivot and talk to number, talk about number three on the list there, uh, Eddie Blackwell. How, because he started as a customer and then now he's your uh, general manager. So tell us, tell us that story of how that kind of works out. So Eddie comes to us in 06. We've been open a couple of months and uh, he had been with another shop. He's from Alabama. We're in Georgia. And he had been with a shop in Texas that he just wasn't overly pleased with. Said he wanted to build a relationship uh, with a shop and wanted to build a stroker motor and, and take his Corvette to the next level. Of course, you know, we're, we're in our infancy and this guy's wanting to build a stroker motor and do the drivetrain and all that. So we're like, hell yeah, man, this is awesome. Please, uh, thank you. Yeah, but Eddie just had this demeanor about him. He's a good old country boy, uh, and he's just got a big heart, and and he's just he's real, if, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So we uh, we built Eddie a motor. We did a uh, 440-inch LS7 for, for his car, made like 615 at the wheels, ran on pump gas, and uh, he took it home and had fun with it. And he came back about, I think, maybe two years later and wanted to put nitrous on that uh, 440. While we were doing the nitrous system, I had a 474 inch. Uh, it was a, uh, L not an LSX, RHS motor come up for sale. And uh, Eddie calls me up. It, it's kind of a running joke, but he calls me up. He says, hey man, if, if you'll help me sell this 440, I'd love to take that 474 and stuff it in my car. And I'm thinking, man, almost 500 cubic inches in a C5 Corvette, that would be sick. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, I obliged. We did it. We stuffed this 474 in it. But Eddie still wanted the nitrous on the car. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we put a direct port nitrous system on it. And we're like, okay, now we got this 1,000-wheel car here. And, Eddie, what are you going to do with it? Oh, man, I'll probably just drive it around Huntsville and uh, take it to car shows and, and maybe romp on it every now and then. So uh, about that time, half mile stuff was getting popular. And we had only seen Eddie a handful of times at this point, you know, maybe, maybe four or five times. Uh, but the half mile stuff was taking off. And we went to an event here in Georgia called Want to Go Fast uh, and took his car up there to race it. And no nitrous, just, just dialing in the motor a little bit. And we set the record for the fastest naturally aspirated LS car in the country we're like holy shit this is pretty good time you know and this, yeah. this car is working you know so uh we started getting more and more focused on on this half mile stuff and at that point man i mean the record it, it was it was early in the in the popularity of that series so i think the record was like 164 or something like that that we ran uh and that's not fast when you talk to a drag racer i mean there's cars that run 208 yeah, uh, so, you know, it's not fast, but when you're on an unprepped surface and you're going for top speed, it is fun and it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit more challenging than it sounds, uh, especially doing it naturally aspirated. Mm -hmm. Well, to fast forward over the years, the, the car just kept getting more and more focused on half mile. We did weight reduction. We pulled that motor out. We put another engine in. We actually went smaller. We went down to a 451 inch LSX. Then we changed the block and went to a 451 uh, LSR so we could save some weight, went to an aluminum block, uh, put a cage in the car, did a sequential. Uh, long story short, Eddie became one of our 
racing customers that went to every event with us and and supported us and we supported him and the car was part of VR to the point that it didn't leave our facility. We'd come back from a race, we'd kind of post race it and put it up front and put it under a cover and that's where it stayed until the next race. Uh, and Eddie and I in the process got to be great friends. You know, he's older, he, he calls himself dad and I'm his son. Uh, but, uh, you know, we just, we formed a really strong bond. And as the company grew, I kept telling Eddie, I said, man, you need to come over here. You know, he, he already worked in a automotive industry. He was a general manager of a local automotive shop. He had about 17 employees. He knew all of our customers. He knew all of our staff mm. and he recognized, you know, you go to, go to an event, people ask, Hey, is Eddie Blackwell here? Is that white Corvette here? Uh, and earlier this year, I, I had uh, an opportunity where I lost an employee and I called Eddie. I said, hey, man, it's time. We've been joking about it for about two years now, but it's time. You need to uh, pack your shit and move to Georgia. And, uh, you know, we, we had a couple of conversations and, and came to terms on things. And he's only been here about four months, but it feels like a lifetime because he's been here since he He's been around. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um. So you talk about, you know, he lived in Alabama. And so if he's driving the car, I mean, it's coming to you guys every now and then. That makes me uh, like, how, how far has someone sent a car for you guys to, to build or tune? <laughs> you know, until recently, we had shipped cars fairly far. We would buy a car, build it, and ship it. Hmm. And I've got Vengeance vehicles in Dubai, UAE. <laughs> Norway and Sweden. Those guys the over there are crazy. They are, they are. Uh, but we've built some pretty cool stuff and shipped it overseas. But about four months ago, I had a customer hit us up from Hawaii and totally thought he was blowing us off and wasting time just getting information. But he had a spec, a pretty ridiculous build for him. And uh, I'm like, there's no way this guy's going to bite, man. The amount of money that it takes just to go from Hawaii and then from Hawaii to Cali and then Cali to us, nobody's going to do that. And if they were, they would use a shop in Cali or somewhere on the West Coast. I've got a car in the shop right now with Hawaii plates on it. This guy bit on everything you could do to a C6, Z06, and, and then some. Uh, very realistic goals. He's turned out to be an amazing customer. And uh, we're, we're nearly finished. We're in the tuning phase of this car right now. We want to make sure this thing's perfect before we ship it however many thousands of miles away that is but uh, golly that's wild man it is man we've got cars all over the country literally uh we've got our own transport company that works pretty much exclusively with us we keep them busy wow. uh and they ship cars constantly new york texas cali you name it they're, they're all over the country wow that's cool man so in your uh in your 2020 shop tour video uh you have a dynocom roller dyno, but you also said you're adding a hub dyno soon? Well, uh, I've got a dyno jet. Uh, dyno jet, sorry, yeah, dyno jet. We've had a dyno jet since we've opened. Yep. That dyno served us well until we started building all this big power shit. You start anything over 1,000, 1,200 wheel, you can't get traction. You're spinning the tires on the dyno, you can't get good data, things of that nature. So. Uh, just recently, we decided to put our DinoJet in the ground, and we ordered a DinoCom tripod setup uh, yep. from Allison and Paul out there. 
Uh, and we're going to utilize that in our race shop, not only for the big power stuff, but because you can launch off a trans brake and go through all the gears on that hub dyno, mm -hmm. we'll be able to track to our long distance customers' cars without ever going to the drag strip. That's you know, great. We, we can adjust vehicles under load. We can adjust shift points, dial in air fuel, things like that that I can't safely do on a public highway. Yeah. And damn sure can't do it on a dyno jet. So. Well, and, you know, talking about, because that was one of the biggest things when I was talking to her was like the benefits of a hub dyno is, you know, power level. Obviously, you're not worried about tire slip or anything like that, but then being able to leave on a brake, you know. Yeah, uh, that's one of the cool features I love, man. Aside from them being a U.S.-based company, uh, the level of support you can get from somebody that's in the same time zone as you or an hour apart, rather, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the capabilities of that Dynocom unit is it's ridiculous. We just received it about a week ago. They finished up electrical yesterday and literally an hour after we get off this interview, I've got to go over and do training on the dyno uh, with one of their Dynocom reps. That's so, awesome. Excited, excited to use it. And I, I think it's going to enhance the caliber of car that we can deliver. It's going to reduce our track testing, reduce our risk and deliver a better car to even somebody that's just, like I said, a, a normal 800 wheel car that we need to dial in instead mm -hmm. of shipping it back to New York and they go to the track and the shift point is off or something like that. Uh, we can fully dial it in right here on the Dynocom. So man, that's awesome. That tool in the arsenal. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I should have asked this question earlier, but let's talk goals for a minute because like uh, I was on your website, obviously, like I've said about 72 times and uh, you guys have a form on there that people can go in and put their, goals and contact info and stuff like that. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so what is something that people should consider when they go to do that? Like, uh, what's the biggest thing that you're like, Hey, do this first for your, for before you send us this information, you need to sit down and write out these goals. And the first thing I tell people is to research the shop. Uh, there's so many shops that are fly by night or, have managed to protect their rep on social media, but don't have a good rep in person, don't have good business practices, things like that. I'm not saying there's not good shops out there. I just want people to research the shop that they're even considering mm -hmm. to make sure that their investment is going to be safe. Uh, beyond that, you got to know your, your realistic goals, what you're going to use the car for, how it's going to be how it's going to perform and in what aspect. Are you a road racer? Are you a drag racer? Is it a multi-purpose car, daily driver that you road race on the weekends? Uh, and then have a realistic budget set in mind with that goal. You know, I, I can't tell you the amount of phone calls that we take that somebody will call up and they'll be like, yeah, man, I want to make, you know, a thousand wheels is the popular number and I've got $8,000. And I'm like, well, you can buy the supercharger that'll make a thousand wheel, but you don't have anything else to go with it, you know? Yep. Uh, so the goals have to be realistic, uh, and their expectations for their budget have to be realistic. Yep. That's, it's funny. Cause we were talking about that earlier with Facebook, talking about a thousand wheel stuff. And a lot of times people, they're not adding up that a converter's eight or 900 or a thousand dollars and, you know, and somebody doing that labor, you know, they just see yeah. the TV show on, on discovery that shows thousand wheel horsepower. They did it in a week. 
Yeah, yeah. TV and social media makes it difficult to to get people to understand what it actually costs to do it, and yep. more importantly, what's involved in it. You know, there's there's a handful of shops in the country that can deliver a reliable thousand horse car that can still be driven on the street, and yep. that's the expectation these days. Everybody wants their whether it's their daily driver or their toy. They want to be able to take their wife out to dinner on Friday night. The car not smell like fuel, not hiccup, and yep. perform like a street car while still yep. making that level of power. So it's it's challenging. Yeah, because like at that level, you're building stuff that could probably max effort handle fourteen, fifteen hundred because you need it to be able to live at this power level. Yeah, it's got to be comfortable where they want it, not just on the ragged edge. Yeah. Now you work in a ton of high horsepower stuff, but in, in your opinion, what's a power level that makes for a fun street car? Like if I was going to burn out ice cream and take my kids to school in, what, what is, what is a power level that you feel is good? You know, I tell people anything over 800 horse to the wheels is, is a waste on the street. You know, you can take these cars set up nicely these days. You can put a nice drag radio on it. The, the eight and 10 speed transmission technology and the new GM stuff has, has worked really, really well. It's has a good ability to put the power down to the pavement, but anything above that number is just, it's unsafe. It's unreliable to some degree, no matter who builds it, how well you build it. Uh, and it's just more power than you need on the street. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. And I mean, 500, horsepower does burnouts just fine in my old truck. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So how many cars a year do you think you guys tune like in the shop there? Oh my God. Uh, we have anywhere from 10 to 15 cars a week come through our facility. Uh, with, That's awesome. We've got uh, seven technicians that are turning wrenches constantly. Uh, and I have one tuner. Uh, so, I mean, if you just did the math on 10 cars a week, 52 weeks a year, you know, we're pumping out 5,000 cars a year. Golly, that's crazy. And that's, you know, I've got a car in the Donner right now that, that's, it got an intake and throttle body and cold air. Not everything is, is big power. Yep. Uh, a lot of it is, but not everything is. Yeah. So uh, I, I enjoy talking to guys in your position because like I always, like what percentage do you think that you guys tune that are, that's above 800 wheel? You know, I, I would say that probably, I'd say 60% of the stuff we build is over 800 wheel. That's but bad ass. <laughs> you have to factor in though that we're exclusively late model GM and the new Z06 comes with 650 horsepower. Yep. So it doesn't take much to ramp some of these cars up to that number. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, some of the naturally aspirated stuff, you know, sure, there's a lot more work involved. But you got ZL1s, Z06s, CTSVs, things like that that are making 650. You know, you're talking 540 at the wheels. Uh, but picking up two, 300 horsepower is not difficult on a factory supercharged car. Yeah. Um, what percentage do you think is over, say, a thousand wheel? Probably 10, 15%. God, see, that's such a wide, like, think of that. Like, 60% of the business is, you know, under a thousand. And then, like, you know, you, you start talking about such a small number of above a thousand wheel horsepower, but that's what everybody wants is a thousand horsepower. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we talk a lot of people out of it. Uh, and yeah. I turn down a lot of builds from people that want us to do things that we just don't agree to do. Uh, I feel a, a responsibility to protect our customer 
from themselves. Uh, and I have to protect our company as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of stuff people call up with these dreams and, and fantasies that we just don't want to be a part of. Uh, so I that, can appreciate that. Yeah. So that, that limits the, the big power stuff that we build. That's awesome. So um, I'm getting blown up by work emails here. So probably going to have to cut it just a little short, but what does the future hold for vengeance? Uh, you know, the future really continued domination. I, I want to maintain being a top level industry standard, you know, for people uh, more specifically, we're focusing on the C8 right now. You know, there's, there's a tuning issue with that car that needs to be addressed but we're fabricating twin turbo systems. We're working with companies to upgrade the DCT transmission, uh, things like that to where when that vehicle is tunable, we can move to that platform uh, and, and really address it and get those cars on the street making some big power. Here's my problem with GM. You know people are gonna mod that car. Wow, would you make it so hard to do that? You know, we fight that every car and, and I can't give you an honest answer. You know, I, I know from their perspective, they don't want it tuned because of warranty claims and things of that nature, but it'll get cracked. It'll be tunable. Uh, I literally posted on social media this morning that uh, a company called Dodson Motorsport has a MoTeC piggyback ECU on a C8. Uh, we're a Dodson dealer. So we'll be that's awesome country to have MoTeC. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But mm -hmm. uh, we'll have these cars making big power sooner than later. God, that's awesome. So what's the future for you, man? What's that mean? What, what, what's coming up for you? You know, I, I, right now I'm, I want to get fat man running. I want to get back in that car and, and, and squash those goals that we've set for the car and for myself and for Jay. Uh, I'm focused on spending a lot of time with my boys. You know, I've got a senior in high school. So uh, mm -hmm. being a father is a big focus of mine right now and spending time with the boys, watching them grow up and watching this business continue to do what it does. That's awesome. That's awesome. So here, last four questions. And uh, it's one I ask everybody. So what is the fastest you've ever driven? I've been 217 mile an hour. God, that's fast, dude. That's real fast. And that was in a half mile. Wow. That's even faster. So <laughs> uh, if you're working on something, uh, if are you a WD-40 or PB blaster kind of guy? I'm neither. You don't want me turning wrenches. <laughs> I run the business and that's where you want me. I'm good with people. I'm, I'm good at strategic decisions. But if you see me with a wrench in my hand, you should probably grab it and ask me what the hell I'm doing. Well, that answers the next one. I was going to ask if you're a, a gloves or bare hands kind of guy. I'm bare hands when I do it, but uh, <laughs> try not to. Please, me. please don't make me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then last one, unlimited budget doesn't matter you're getting to build your dream car what is it you know i think i'm building it right now me and my uh, oldest son are building a 69 camaro uh, and it's what everybody and their mother has built but uh it's what he wanted but we're building a 69 camaro pro touring car you know yeah. detroit speed front and back ls7 427 uh late model 6 gen zl1 interior uh, oh, that's awesome so a retro car that, that's got today's safety and performance built into it. Yeah, that you can get in and drive across the country. Exactly. Yep, that's cool. Well, hey, I want to say thanks again for, for taking the time. I know you are a busy, busy guy. So I appreciate you letting uh, telling, telling your story. 
Mike, I appreciate you having me, man. I'll come back anytime. Yeah, dude. So we're going to, I'll start working on some 2.0 questions because now that we've got the basis, the baseline laid out for everybody, we can tell some really good stories next time. Absolutely. Just let me know, brother. All right, man. Thanks a bunch. Absolutely. Take care.